You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Y'all, it's such a pleasure to be with y'all today. Let's begin with prayer. Jesus, thank you for this time. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for being here today. God, be glorified. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, my King and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all, it's so good to be with y'all today. I'm Rosalyn, one of the pastors here at Mosaic. Our lead pastor, Pastor Morgan, is out on vacation, and I get to preach today. I'm so excited that I get to be with y'all. Yes, thank you. Y'all, I didn't, I didn't know Marshall on the drums had that in him. I was like, why do they do this before I preach? Like, now my heartbeat's got to come down. I got to get back calmer then. Gosh, that was so good, y'all. Thank you, Jesus, for our worship team. Whether you're in the room with us or online, welcome. If you're new here, y'all, thank you for spending your Sunday before Christmas with us. If you are not new here, you've been with us any length of time, then you know we're in a series called The Wise Women of Christmas. Yes, Lord. But we also know that the wisdom of Christmas is not limited to a series. So feel free to honor the wisdom of women in your life all year round. Okay. Amen. (laughs) All the women are like, yes, amen, I like her already. I want to personally invite you before we get started to our Christmas Eve service. Y'all, you don't want to miss it. You have three times to choose from. It's Christmas already, Friday. We look forward to spending that time with you. We'll continue to explore our Wise Women of Christmas series. Now, speaking of wisdom, or the lack thereof, um, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, I was outside getting some fresh air, planting my poinsettias in preparation for my Christmas decorations. My husband had gone to the store to get something that I wanted. Came home and he had a rental car, so it's driving, it's um, on in the car, still on. He's getting the item out of the back of the, the trunk of the car. As he's getting the item out, the car goes into gear. He gets my attention to tell me to get out of the way because there's nothing he can do about the car crashing into the house. Was there? Was there something that could be done? From my calculations, you know what's gonna happen. I could stop this car. I briefly calculated the velocity that the car was moving, the distance, and I saw that I could brace myself and stop the force of this moving vehicle. As I'm in position to stop the car, I mean, I'm braced, I realize that I miscalculated. <laughs> I didn't account for the slope in my driveway, wind velocity maybe, and acceleration of the vehicle. It slams me into the house. It pins me to the house by my knee. So the car hits the inside, right side of our knee, and the back of the knee was hit, was pinned to the brick of the house. Once my amazing husband puts the car in reverse and carries me into the car, he takes me to <laughs> urgent care, and there the doctors did some scans. And as they're waiting for the scans to be processed and analyzed, the doctor asked me, what do you do? <laughs> it's like, I'm curious. It's like, I'm a pastor. It's like, oh, 
thought you were a spy. <laughs> so he comes back in the room with the, the scan results. And he says, well, pastor, that car hit you in the strongest points possible of your knee. He says, there's nothing broken. There's nothing torn. So I just need you to stay off it for a few days and you should be back to relatively normal soon. Well, I still have some bruising and some pain and I limp a little bit, but y'all, I'm better. The car is, was saved, the house was saved. I got a little bruising and some swelling. I'm bruised, but I'm not broken. <laughs> Praise Jesus. But here's the thing, like when I was younger, I would have bounced back by now. I would be playing basketball with my kids by now. I'm not there yet though. I can't pivot yet. That was an accident. I can't pivot still. I can't jump like I used to. I would have recovered faster when I was younger. I, I had more vitamin D going through my body, more calcium in my bones, more elasticity in my skin, a little bit more muscle in my muscle and that car would have bounced off of me. <laughs> but now, I'm stuck with this limp for a few days. So the woman that we're gonna talk about next for today, I think the same is true about her. I think there was a time where she was younger. All the movies and books and TV shows and even the Bible portrays her as this elderly lady. She's well-aged, she's, she, she's wrinkled in the pictures and she's stooped over a little bit. She has a limp in her, her walk in the movies. It's not from a car because she's wiser than that. <laughs> but it's from praying in the temple on these stone floors for years. And the pictures, they depict her like that because that's how the book of Luke explains her. This, they're telling a time when she met baby Jesus. This is a time that she encountered her, encountered her, him. She was the age of 84 years old. She's a well-aged woman. And I don't blame them for all the pictures and books depicting her this way, but... She has a backstory. She didn't get this age overnight. She, she, was, she was a young woman at some point. But be clear, if you are going to paint a picture of me, tell a story about me, circulate rumors about me, please let it be after I've encountered Jesus. Don't tell anything before that. So I don't blame them for, encounter, for, for drawing these pictures, but this woman has a backstory. And I believe that her backstory will help us. Now, if you haven't guessed who it is by now, it's the prophetess Anna. I like to call her Anna in the temple. And Luke tells her story in chapter two of Luke. If you will, it's just a, a few short verses. If you'll stand with me as I read to you um, out loud. If you don't have your Bibles, it's right on the screens in front of you. We're coming out of Luke 2, 36. Begin saying, now there was, a one, there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. May the Lord add a blessing to hearers and the doers of his word. Y'all be seated. Thank you so much for staying in with me. So Luke is telling us this story. 
and he's trying to help us understand a little bit of Anna's backstory. Luke is writing this letter, and he addresses this letter to a person named Theophilus. And he's also writing this letter to us. He's trying to communicate the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Messiah. He's, he wants to communicate and convince Theophilus of who Jesus is and help him understand his life more so that he could also believe in Jesus. There's some clues that Luke is, is dropping to readers like Theophilus that's in this time, and, and also to you and I, that will help us connect the dots in Anna's story. We don't get the full story from Luke, but we can connect some dots. He gives Theophilus details like she's Fanuel's daughter, and they're from the tribe of Asher. This helps us know that they are Jacob's people from the Old Testament. They've migrated down from the Mediterranean coast, and now they've settled in Jerusalem. We can also understand that she's from a people that have known Yahweh. That's the Hebrew word for the one true God. We, we know that she knows who Yahweh is. Now this tribe of Asher, she's from, was prophetically blessed by Jacob and blessed by Moses, but they've also faced some adversity. They had some rough patches with the Canaanites and the Syrians. They've dealt with war and they've been taken away captive to foreign lands. There's been some infiltration of idol worship, hundreds of years of adversity. Now, although not immediate to Anna, I believe this information, it begins to give us some insight to her character because she, despite of what's happened historically to her family, she still maintains her belief in the one true God. And she believes very strongly in the prophetic words that we find in the Old Testament, 600-year-old prophetic words by pro prophets like Isaiah regarding the Messiah and this one true God. So Luke is typically a very detailed writer. He's known for his empirical evidence of dates and times and places, names recorded in the gospel. He interviews eyewitnesses and he gives us juicy details. Luke is also a physician. He tells us about people's medical conditions. Luke is probably the reason why we have HIPAA. <laughs> yeah. Because he doesn't just tell you someone's sick. He tells you they're sick with the palsy. He gives you like, they're, they're, he just puts your business in the street. He gives so much information. He gives typically information about people. But we find here in this story that it feels like Dr. Luke is holding back some details about Anna. I mean, this is a very important point in history. Like, Luke decides not to give us all these details about Anna. So, I think, I believe, I hope that he holds back um, information in, as a gift to us because we don't know some things about Anna. We don't know if she was rich or if she was poor. We don't know if she has children or doesn't have children. We don't know if she actually was a, a, became a widow before she became a widow, if she was happily married or if her marriage was hard for her. We don't even know if she had lived in a big house and then she moved into this draft temple or if she had no home at all and she's used the temple as residency. There's so much we don't know about Anna. He leaves these details out, but I think it's indicative of the gospel of Jesus Christ because when it comes to the gospel, our social status, it doesn't matter. 
our current position in life, it really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if we're rich or if we're poor, if you have children or if you're single. It doesn't matter if you're married or if you're widowed. It doesn't even matter if you have a, matter if you have a good marriage or if your marriage is on the struggle bus. It doesn't matter if you have a home or if you live publicly among the people like Anna. It doesn't matter when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ and the wisdom that this woman lends us from the way she lives is equally accessible to us all. Now, so how does Anna live that's wise? In the midst of adversity, Anna redeems the discomfort of weakness, of waiting, and of wanting. It's not comfortable to feel weak. It's not comfortable to have to wait. It's not comfortable to want something and it feels like it's just out of your reach. But this wise woman, she shows us how to redeem that discomfort. Now, it helps me to break this down into bite-sized wise pieces. You can eat it all at one time. So we're gonna break it down into three parts. We'll begin with how Anna redeems the discomfort of weakness. So Anna grows up during a time that's called the intertestamental period. This is about a 400 year period between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Not much is told about that time. It's called the silent years. This is when the theologians or historians believe that God was generally silent um, from the from speaking for, through the, the prophets. He didn't tell us much. We don't hear, the last prophet that we hear from is actually Malachi. And Malachi is coming at the people with like judgment from God. He's like, God's gonna judge this time. He's gonna judge your sin. And, and Malachi is pretty livid when he talks on behalf of God. He calls out the fact that the priests are corrupt. There's infidelity amongst the people. He, he says the people are acting out as if they do not have, they, that they can do anything without consequence for sins. He's mad at them. So that's where we leave the Old Testament. And this is what is advancing through the, the life of Anna. This is what she's living through. Malachi clues us into the fact that there's an extreme violence in idol worship. This is the time of period that, that Anna's experienced extreme violence, idol worship, but still she believes in the one true God. But as if that's not enough for Anna, as if the violence and all the madness in the world is not enough, she's married at the average age of a Jewish woman, which is about 13 or 14. She's married, and then she loses her husband in seven years. She becomes a widow at age 21. It's a lot for a young woman to have to handle. Anna, Anna then makes a, what can be considered an extreme decision to move into the temple. Now, we can draw some conclusions as to why she moved into the temple. Maybe the Holy Spirit instructed her to, or maybe it was a knee-jerk reaction to the grief that she was feeling. Either way, adversity and grief of this magnitude and all the things that were going on in the world around her, it has a way of making you feel weak and disoriented. And that weakness, it can make your mind and your body do some funny things. See, weakness forces you to your habits. The things that you do when no one else is watching, decisions that you make, and actions that you form every day, 
And if those habits are not good habits, then the weakness that you feel, it intensifies and it gets more and more uncomfortable every day. But if we establish good habits, spiritual habits, then weakness is redeemable because it puts us in position to experience the promise that God gives us for weakness. Here's an example. We see this with Paul. We don't know what his adversity is, but the adversity causes him to experience persistent weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8, Paul admits that he's pleaded with God over and over to take this adversity away from him. He calls it a thorn. He says this in 2 Corinthians 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. And God's response to him was my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We can stop right there. I'm gonna continue just because like, I got time, but we could stop right there. My power is made perfect in weakness. That's a promise. It almost feels like an oxymoron. I mean, how could this be that I can get the benefit of God's power in exchange for my pitiful weakness? And my weakness is pitiful but he gives me his power to replace it? This is, this is crazy to me, but it's not an oxymoron. It's actually the gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we submit our weakness to God, we are released from the bondage of trying to be strong for ourselves. Y'all, God's promise to deal with our weakness by way of his power being made perfect, that's a gift for our behalf. The promise doesn't keep the weakness from being challenging. But there's an intentionality in submitting our weakness to the Father. Paul does this through the intentionality of spiritual habits or spiritual disciplines. And specifically, it's the spiritual discipline of persistent prayer. Anna gets to experience this concept before Paul ever records his personal experience. And that is because she understands the power of good spiritual habits when experiencing weakness. Of what we know about Anna, her daily habits, which are also happen to be her spiritual habits, they corresponded directly. They're, they're almost the, the main thing emphasized about her life in this, the, the Gospels. Luke says this in, in Luke 2.37, he says, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. The way Anna lives daily, her habits, it gives us a step-by-step plan to deal with our own weakness in the midst of adversity. She fasts, pray, night, day step-by-step plan. She's not setting this precedence on a whim. The prophetess has evidence that this plan works. Fast, pray, night, day. She's heard the story of how Queen Esther proclaimed the fast. And when Queen Esther proclaimed the fast, it changed the course of history for a whole people group. And she knows, she's well aware of the stories of how Daniel who was stuck in the lion's den, how when he proclaimed a fast for his friends, it actually made them stronger and 
allowed them to be rescued out of an otherwise hopeless situation. You see, fasting is not new to Anna. It's not a religious act or a box to check. It's an action that signifies intentional pursuit of relationship with God. Fast, pray, night, day. I want it to get in your head because of how critical these, this plan of action is. As Luke describes Anna's life, we see multiple other spiritual disciplines also or spiritual habits working in her life, like service. She's not at the temple for what the temple can do for her. Oh, there's money changes at the temple. There's womanizers at the temple. There's injustice at the temple. There's, they're mean to widows and orphans at the temple. There's a whole lot of stuff going on at the temple that's actually not that safe for widows like Anna. Malachi tells us this. Even Jesus, when he comes on the scene 30 years later, he's upturning tables because there are money changers in the temples. So it's not because they can do something for her. Anna is at the temple for what she can do for the temple. She's serving the discipline of service. She's prophetically praying and exhorting, encouraging people. Historians say that the court of the temple that Anna had access to, this public area, could hold about 15,000 people. She's seeing people day in and day out. Jesus is not the first baby she's seen. Mary and Joseph, this is not the first family she's ministered to. She sees people every day waiting for the Redeemer, and she's praying and prophetically exhorting people, service. I believe she also practiced the discipline of study. You see, Anna has faith in a 600-year-old prophetic message that was announced by the prophet Isaiah. He declared this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Anna has to rehearse this scripture every day. Every day she's seeing babies because they've got to come to the temple to complete the ritual after childbirth. So she's seeing these babies, um, they're making dedications to them and she's checking out babies. Is he the one? No, God himself will send a son. He's cute. Ain't the one. God himself was in the sign. She has to rehearse the scripture over and over in her head. She couldn't just let it go 60 years ago. There's something she has to continue to remember and recall. And that's what we have to do in weakness because faith comes by hearing. This is how faith comes in weakness, by actively reciting, recalling, hearing scripture. The Lord himself was in the sign. In these three verses of Luke, we see that Anna also practices the spiritual disciplines of solitude, submission, worship. We even see her practice celebration. She shows us how we can redeem the discomfort of weakness by actively practicing good spiritual habits. Perhaps you haven't practiced the right spiritual habits. It happens in our weakness. In fact, the habits that you've practiced are they're actually not spiritual at all. And it feels like the discomfort of your weakness is intensifying and you can't do nothing about it. God's grace was sufficient for Paul and it's sufficient for us. We have the privilege of submitting our weakness to Jesus. It's not a burden. 
It's a fact and it's a privilege. He takes our weakness. And because of God's divine design and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's equipped our bodies, our brains to establish new habits. Here's how our science science for today. Our brains form neural pathways which are connections between the neurons in our brains. We have billions of neurons and they get stronger the more often we perform a task. You see where this is going? And when we perform a task enough times, we no longer have to think about how it's done. This is when it becomes a habit. God has designed us to form spiritual habits. He's designed our brain to adapt to these spiritual habits without us having to strain, without us trying to figure it out. We just got to perform it enough times. It's never too late for us to establish good habits. These new neural pathways can be formed at any time. This is how God created us, and it's amazing. There's no time like the present. You can start today. You can start establishing the the spiritual habits of fast, pray, night, day. But if you decide to wait, we have a church-wide fast in January, and we can all start together. (laughs) Anybody taking notes? Nobody's taking notes. They're like, I didn't didn't hear that. January, church-wide fast. (laughs) Amen. All right. Y'all, let's look at how the prophetess Anna redeems the discomfort of waiting. Some biblical commentaries, they differ on whether Anna was 84 years old when she saw baby Jesus or whether she was 104 years old. So whether she'd been in the temple 60 plus years or 80 plus years, there are legitimate arguments either way. The bottom line is she was amazing. That's a long time. That's a long time to be praying for something and you don't see it. She's prayed regarding the same prayer, the same 600-year-old prophetic word. She's asking God, and she's prayed for that 600-year-old promise for over 60 years. That's faith. Anna is waiting for a sign from God. She's waiting for sin to be dealt with. She's waiting for her grief to be redeemed. There's madness in the temple. There's madness in the land of Jerusalem. But yet she continues to be persistent, waiting on God. She's waiting for the Redeemer. And she's waited for decades. And then there's a rumor swirling. There's shepherds. And they've made it widely known throughout the land that they saw a baby. And he's wrapped in swaddling clothing, and they see him lying in a manger. It's widely known. Everybody knows it now. And so her anticipation builds because help is on the way. She's got to see it because he'll see, he'll send her a sign. The Lord Himself will send her a sign. So she's waiting for this baby to come and be dedicated at the temple. There's hope in the waiting, right? Until. Until there's a decree, King Herod sends out a decree and he massacres all babies two years old and under. What happens to a dream deferred? The roller coaster of grief. We were so close, it was just out of her reach. She was expecting the baby anytime, and now there's a, a massacre in the land. 
What could have happened? She's living through this type of roller coaster of pain. It can be devastating. The injustice, the adversity, the discomfort of grief and the waiting. It's relentless. And 60 years of, of this waiting, it feels endless. It feels like an eternity. Can I be honest with y'all? We're family. Online, we're family, right? I've prayed for something. And one day I prayed for 30 minutes because I needed God to come through right then. And I needed his promises to be fulfilled right then. And it was the hardest prayers I ever prayed. And he didn't come through like I wanted him to. He didn't come through like I expected him to. And I was mad. I felt like he didn't love me. All the miracles, all the things that I've seen him come through right at the nick of time, it was a distant memory because I needed him in that moment and he didn't come through. This is what the roller coaster of grief can do for you. But this woman, she shows us a wiser way. She shows us that we don't have to give up even when he doesn't come through like we want him to. She lives her life recognizing that there's value in waiting because the prophet Isaiah said so. He said this, even youths shall faint and be weary and young men, they'll fall exhausted, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And if she believes that the Messiah, the Redeemer is coming based on the, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah's words, then she's got to believe this, his words about waiting too. And she does. You see, waiting will make you weary and waiting will make you tired, but it depends on, it all depends on who you're waiting for. Isaiah teaches us another way. If you wait on the Lord, he says, then waiting actually invigorates you. It makes you stronger and wiser and more apt to deal with the challenges. How do you respond when waiting is getting the best of you? You've got to switch who you're waiting on. Those that wait on the Lord. And that may look like telling yourself, reminding yourself, I, I know it looks like I'm waiting on the doctor to call and tell me the results, but I'm just waiting on the Lord. It, it may look like you're waiting on a husband. No, but I'm just waiting on the Lord. I know I may be looking like I, I want this job to come through, but I'm just waiting on the Lord. I know my tears are plentiful and my prayers may be long, but I'm just waiting on the Lord. You got to remind yourself who you're waiting on. Because those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Anna redeems the discomfort of waiting by waiting on the Lord. Sorry, y'all. Anna redeems the discomfort of wanting. Thank you. Thank you so much. Anna redeems the discomfort of wanting. Anna wanted something so bad that she would fast, pray, night, day. Is it in your head yet? You're going to need this in January. 
She fasted in preparation to receive it. Luke reminds us of the law of redemption for the firstborn because this will help us understand the, the wanting that she has, the, the wanting, the expectation that she has in the temple every day. She's waiting and wanting because of the scripture. He says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the room shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. She's basing her waiting. She's basing her wanting on the law of the Lord. She's at the temple wanting, trusting that God himself will show her a sign, trusting that this law is true and that the, the deliverer, the Messiah, would be obedient to the law of the Lord. So babies in and out of the temple daily, 60 years. She looks, baby's cute. She's like, that's not the one. He's cute, but that's not the one. He, he, he's, he's precious. He's not the one. The Lord himself was sent aside. Here is where we need her wisdom for in our wanting. She wants something so bad. She wants the right baby to walk through the door. She wants him to be the one. Kind of like in dating. We want him to be the one. She wants him to be the one. He wants her to be the one. We need Anna's, her wisdom in this wanting. May the Holy Spirit grant our single men and our single women discernment like Anna to know when he's the one. And may they not give themselves to another prematurely as a sacrifice in Jesus' name. He's the one. Discernment, Lord. We need wisdom for our wanting. Now, Luke briefly describes in the, the text Anna's encounter. After she gets what she wants, she comes face to face with baby Jesus. Luke says this. And coming in that instant... She gave thanks to the Lord. Really, Luke? 60 years, 600-year-old prophecy, and that's all we get? She gave thanks to the Lord? Okay. Can I read something for y'all? I want you to, this is a different story. I'm just going to read one verse. But I want you just to mentally calculate the description in this scripture. Luke 5, 12, and it happened when he was in a certain city that behold, a man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus and he fell on his face and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Luke gives us person, place, thing. We could almost taste the leprosy. I mean, he gives us everything but how it smells, and we can assume that leprosy smells bad and maybe a little salty tasting. I mean, just it's an open source. So we can, there's some assumptions we can make, right? He gives us enough details to paint the picture and satisfy all five senses. So why hold back Anna's experience? And I think this is why. 
You see, Luke is talking to some eyewitnesses, and eyewitnesses like to like reenact the, the situation, right? And I believe that this eyewitness was like, listen, baby, Jesus came into the temple, and I've never seen an 84-year-old woman move like this. She, she mounted up on those wings like eagles. She was running. She wasn't weary no more. She was running. When she saw the face of baby Jesus, when she saw the King of kings and the Lord of lords, when he stepped in the temple, the, the God that she'd been waiting for all her life, the, the master, the God of the universe, he comes into the temple. She sees his face, and she can't restrain how she feels. She begins to bubble up on the inside. She says words that I can't quite understand. Maybe they were Greek. Maybe they were Arabic. Maybe they, I don't know what she was saying. It wasn't Hebrew. I can't quite understand the words, but I know she began to worship and she began to praise and she began to bow down. And Luke says, I got it. I can't translate all that into Greek, but I, what I will say is she gave thanks to the Lord. Says, Theophilus will understand. Rosalind will understand. They'll understand when they come face to face with God. When he comes, when he shows up just in the nick of time, when they've prayed all night long, when they pray for decades, and he shows up in their situation, and they answer. He answers the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the God of the universe, shows up and he answers their prayer. They understand what it means to give thanks. So I don't, I don't have to tell them. They'll see it for themselves. She gave thanks. And then Luke tells us how she responds. Because after we give thanks, there has to be a response. There's a response to thankfulness. He says she spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Her prayer I wonder often, what was her prayer? What did she pray for 60 years? I don't have to ask what she prayed. She prayed for a redeemer. We know what she prayed because she left the temple and she began to tell everybody about the redeemer. So this is not light work for this woman because Anna doesn't, she, she responds by evangelizing, but she's going out into a community. Malachi says they're sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers. Oh my, she's going out to minister to these people, but she doesn't care because there's an answer for all this. She goes out, she says, he's coming to clean up all this. Get it together because he's coming to judge your sin. He's coming because he's love you. The king has come and he will fulfill his promises. She goes out and she evangelizes. God strategically places this wise woman, Anna, in the temple to witness the coming of the Redeemer after his birth. She was obedient to wait right there because she wanted something so bad, not just for herself, but she knew that there was one way, there's only one way to fix the mess that man had created the brokenness of the people, the people that she came to love. There was only one way for true redemption in their life. And after she encountered that one way, after she encountered the Redeemer, she went out with urgency to Jerusalem to publish.
publicly proclaim the arrival of Jesus. Then, 33 years later, three days after his death, God strategically places another wise woman at the tomb where he was buried to witness the coming of the Redeemer in his resurrected rebirth. This woman was obedient to wait right there, even in her grief, because she wanted something so bad, not just for herself. She knew there was only one way to fix the brokenness the people that she came to love. And after she encountered the Redeemer, like Anna, she ran out to Jerusalem to publicly declare the arrival of Jesus. Can you see this? He's placed a woman at the temple to witness and proclaim his birth. And he's placed a woman at the tomb to witness and proclaim his birth. The use of repetition in the Bible, it emphasizes the importance of a person or a theme. God strategically empowered and positioned women to publicly proclaim his arrival at the two most critical moments in humankind history. We get to celebrate this, we get to celebrate women proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Women, I need you. I need you to recognize the authority and the power of Jesus Christ that is in you. I'm talking to my baby. There's authority in you. It is in your DNA. You have the authority of Jesus Christ to publicly declare the gospel message to a dying world. The Redeemer has come. He's the one charged with the duty of restoring the rights of another and avenging our wrongs. We get to proclaim this. He was sinless in all his ways. He suffered, bled, died to avenge our wrong. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit it comes to live inside of us, marking us for eternity. And now, Ezekiel's prophecy is fulfilled when God says, I will put my temple in you. We no longer have to go to the temple and stay at the temple like Anna. No, now the temple has come to live inside us. He made it easy for us, y'all. He made it easy. The temple has come to live inside of you. Now all of our weakness, all of our waiting, all of our wanting, it can be submitted directly to the Father, directly to Jesus who redeems it all. I wanna pray, we're gonna leave now, but I wanna pray for two people groups. If you do not know Jesus as your savior, I'm asking you not to leave here without accepting him as your savior. Y'all, life is short, eternity is long. And if we live this life separated from God, we will have to live eternity separated from God. Do not let that be you. If you don't know him, just come and have a conversation. 
come to have the conversation about accepting Jesus as your Savior. And I'm going to ask you to physically come up and have that conversation. The second group I want to pray for is if you find yourself weak, you find that you've been weak, whether it's grief or whether it's just the hard things of life. Weakness. You're waiting for something. If you find yourself that you've been waiting for it and it's gotten uncomfortable and you need that discomfort relieved, you find yourself wanting something. Maybe it's a husband, maybe it's a wife, maybe it's a child. You find yourself wanting something so bad that it feels just out of your reach. I want that group to stand. And I want to pray with you. We're going to pray for that discomfort to be relieved. We're going to pray that God will meet you in the waiting, that you will switch who you're waiting on, that he, you will know. You will know that he's the redeemer of the waiting. He's the redeemer of the wanting. He's the redeemer of our weakness. So everyone close your eyes. If that was you, pray with me, stand, and I'll pray for you. And then Pastor Corey will come. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, God, being proclaimed to your people. We ask, God, that you would open their ears, God, where, where there is something that they need to hear. Open their hearts to receive your truth, God. I thank you that you are a redeemer of weakness, God. You are a redeemer of the discomfort, God. I pray for where we find ourselves weak right now, God. Maybe it's a bad habit we've got to break. Maybe it's a thing that we keep doing. God, I'm asking that you reinforce your sons and your daughters right now, God. I'm asking that you heal, God, where the brokenness has occurred, God. Heal where the breaks have occurred in their lives, where they've been pushed, God, to maybe bad habits, God. I'm asking that you redeem it, God. Give them the strength, God, by your power. You said that your power in exchange for our weakness, God. And so I'm asking, God, that you would give them that exchange, God, as they submit their weakness to you right now. God, restore God. Restore. Heal the bad habits, God. Restore. Fix those neural pathways, God. Where their minds need to be re-regulated, God. Reroute those neural pathways like only a holy God can. Lord, I ask, God, when we find ourselves waiting, God, we're waiting for something to happen. Maybe we're waiting for a child. We're waiting for a change. We're waiting for a job. We're waiting for a husband. Waiting for a wife. God, I'm asking that you would meet us in the waiting, God. I'm asking, God, that you would allow us to wait for you. Wait on the Lord. Let us switch who we're waiting on, God, and let us feel, God, the release of the pressure because we're waiting on you and those, God, that are wanting something. They're wanting something from a mighty God, a holy God. They're wanting something. Maybe it was a selfish one, but they're willing to submit that selfishness to you, God. We want what you want. Lord, we submit our wants to you, and I ask that you redeem the discomfort of our wanting, even right now, as we submit our wanting to you. And we say yes to you, God. For those, Lord, that don't know you as their Savior, I'm asking that you prick their hearts, even right now, to come and have the conversation, God. Because I want to see my brothers and sisters in eternity, God. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you give us this opportunity to receive you, God. You made it easy for us. You set the temple up in our hearts. Thank you. Holy Spirit, have your way, even as we depart this place and we give you glory in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.